the last two Sundays, or this Sunday, last Sunday, and this, we're talking about conversion. Just what is conversion? What do we mean when we say a person has been converted? We have heard it. People converted to Islam and people converted to Buddhism. What does it mean? I want to suggest to you that for them, it's a change of direction. When we speak of conversion in the church, we're talking about a change in heart, not of position or location. And the reason for uh, conversion is because of our condition before God. The Bible says we're all sinners with the exception of none, you and me and others. And it's interesting to me that I suppose until 1950, if I may be so bold to speak about the United States in 1950, uh, I can speak uh, to some extent to Canada because of the background from which I come. But it's interesting that, that until uh, perhaps the beginning of the 60s, we stopped talking about the need to be saved. Uh, we were coming of age. We, are, we were coming to the place where we could, we could think in terms of what technology could do. And it was just the beginning. I, I was reminiscing with someone not too long ago. Do you remember the first cell phones? You needed a truck to pull those things. I, I mean, I remember I was at a funeral. I was getting, my son was in school, and I needed to get back to the school to get him, and I said to the funeral director, I said, oh man, I said, I've got to be back to get my son from school, and I don't know how to get in touch with him. And he said, um, to be honest with you, I hadn't heard of the cell phone before. And he said, Oh, what, what used the phone in the car? And I thought, cool. No, I didn't say cool. I didn't say, <laughs> so. and, 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 and he said, uh, use the phone in the car. So I thought, wow, phone in the car. When I saw this thing, I mean, it was a massive thing. It looked like, a, like, like you know, those two-way radios you used to see that they used in the war. And think of what this morning we were listening on our cell phone. I, was, I could hold it in the palm of my hand. And we were listening to... Uh, ministry coming from Chicago this morning. I mean, just uh, unbelievable. So we were coming of age. And the more we were advancing in technology, the less we saw our needs for a Savior. And the less we see the need for a Savior, the more convinced we will become that we are not sinners. That, that even some religious programs have, have done a disjustice to us because it tells us that Jesus did not die on the cross for our sins. He died that we might discover our true self. That was preached in the 70s from some very popular pulpits. The scripture says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when we change sin for sickness, then we take care of our own malady and not God. And so, from, from, from the state of our condition before God, we come to our separation from God. Our separation from God. Isaiah chapter 52 says, we are separated by our sins from God. You know, I, I, I've often said, my, my mother, a wonderful, wonderful lady, but when I, when I would get on her nerves, and it was not a few times, 
And, and she, would, she would give me a good licking. It would be almost a week before I was in my mother's good graces again. It's almost like I had to walk my way back to her. And, and I, w- I, would know, I would know that everything was fine when my mother called me a special name. One, once she addressed me by that name, I knew the past was forgiven. But until that time, and don't come and ask me what the name is, because I'm not going to tell you. Um, my children and my wife have been trying to find out what it is, and I do not tell them. Thirdly, we need to be converted because of the sentence that God has on our lives. The wages of sin is what? Death. And I shared with you that death came in two levels. Spiritual death, which is separation from God, where we're walking from God, where we want to do our own thing. We call that pride, by the way, sometimes. And physical death. Physical death. Physical death comes out of spiritual death. If there were no spiritual death, there'd be no physical death. And so quickly then, we had just started last week, the cost of conversion. What does it cost and who paid the price for our conversion? 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, But all these things are from God. Paul is wanting us to see that when it comes to converting a life, Colossians 1.13 is a tremendous verse. It says that God, that God has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. From God took the initiative to go where we were in total spiritual darkness. To bring us out of that. In other words, my friends, for us to be converted, spiritually speaking, it cost God. God paid the price. And there's something we, we, we need to understand. That when we say that God paid the price, that he did not pat us on the head and, and say to us, it's okay, it's okay. No. The scripture says in John 1 that he came into the darkness of the world and the darkness did not comprehend him. And he says men love darkness rather than light so that when the Son of God came into the world, he didn't come to a world that was waiting to welcome him. He came to a world that didn't want him and finally crucified him. It cost God. And, and somehow we have lost that sense. Somehow we see God as more of a, of a grandfather who can take what we give. But my friends, when it says that God so loved the world, to prove his love, it cost him. He gave his only begotten son. And oftentimes... Oftentimes, do we not find it somehow to want to express our affection more for Jesus 
than we do for God. Never forget, I was, received a phone call from one of the parishioners in, in Toronto, and, and she said, Winston, I'm having trouble. My daughter said, I don't love God, but I love Jesus. And, 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 and she, she was probably been told a, a Bible story in which, which the wrath of God was expressed. And then when, when we read of Jesus, what do we tell our children? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But my friends, as adults, when we come to understand the love of God, we are not talking mainly of emotion, of sentiments. We are talking about a will that chooses to do something for people who are in jeopardy and without that will exercising something, it could never be accomplished. The impossibility of conversion is given to us in the book of Jeremiah. Can a leopard change its spot or an Ethiopian its, its complexion? The answer is no. That can't happen. So the heart of man, the heart of, of, of human beings, you and me, can only be changed by a divine act by God who alone could do it. So not only did God pay the price, but God now will take us through the procedures. And I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. You may have read that verse again and again, and I wonder if we paid any attention to it. It reads this way. God was in Christ. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Please listen, friends. Please listen. On the cross, Jesus was not on that cross by accident. Jesus was not on that cross because God lost. Jesus was on that cross because long before there was even a universe, God actually determined that this is the way by which his son would go into the world, and this is the way by which the price would be paid for the salvation of lost sinners. God was in Christ. And you would be surprised how many books have been written trying, trying to understand what does it mean that God was in Christ? Does it mean that God was through Christ? Or that God was present in Christ while it was being done. God, listen to this, God made Christ to be sin. Every sin that you have ever committed and will commit, every sin that I have ever committed and will commit, God placed in judgment on his son. The just for the unjust. When, when, when he died, he took upon himself the wrath and judgment of an eternal righteousness that has no other choice but to punish and to judge sin. Jesus, upon his own body, Endure the wrath of God 
The, the scripture puts it this way. By his stripe we are healed. Let me suggest to you, my friends, the process of conversion. We must first be regenerated. As far as I know, dead people can't regenerate themselves. It takes life to bring life. And Paul said we were dead. We were spiritually dead. And God quickened us. That is, to make us alive again. God acted in his own sovereign way. That by the death of Jesus Christ, sinners can be made alive. And our commencement of conversion begins with our regeneration. To bring to life again. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him to them, gave he the right to become children of God, which assumes that before that we were not, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, converted, regenerated, not of blood, that is, by our parents, not the will of man, the will of the flesh, but of God. God is the, is, is the, is the actor in converting us, in regeneration. We are the subjects. We are the ones on the operating table. And God, by his, his sovereign, sovereign will, even though Judas was guilty of betraying Christ, God in his sovereign will would work through what Judas did so that Jesus would go to the cross to pay the price for your sins and mine. The procedures were, was all of God. No human being could, could derive a program of redemption as we have in this verse. That God was in Christ carrying out. Listen to what it says. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. If he has to reconcile the world to himself, it meant that before the cross we were enemies of God. We were over here. We were without any connection with God. In fact, Paul later on says, we were without God and without hope in this world. He had put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for the guilt of sin. Regeneration begins the process that leads to conversion. A child comes into the world and for nine months, that child is carried by his or her mother, lives by that mother. Everything the mother has to watch. We, we are told now certain things that mothers should not eat or drink in pregnancy because it will affect the child. But once that child comes out of the mother's womb, that child needs to be cared for. Life has been given now that child must be, you know, our daughter, I don't remember what the occasion was. One, one day or two days, I said, she slept for 18 hours straight. And if you think this father wasn't concerned, every so often I would go and put my finger under her nose to make sure she was breathing. 
I, I wanted to make sure that she was alive and if she needed anything so that she could continue to live, that I would give it to her, that her mother would give it to her. That is what conversion is like. When the life is born again, then the process of feeding, of caring, of taking care of, making sure that sleep and the proper diet is given to that child, that, my friends, is when conversion takes place. So in a real sense, I said this before, and this is where I, I ended the service last week. In a real sense, only a Christian can be converted. If you are dead, you can't be, you don't have life. When you are regenerated, you're, 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 you're brought again into the existence of God. Into, into the awareness of who you are, of who he is. All the things that, that used to be of concern, well, we're not concerned so much to ignore them, we don't anymore. Because we're finding that uh, there is a strange thing happening to us. Everyone in whom this divine operation passed experienced a new view of divine truth. We'll see that in a minute. This was written over 60, 70, 80 years ago. The soul that sees. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? Unless a man be born again, he cannot see. Before we are regenerated and converted, we don't see. We don't see spiritually. We don't have any appetite for spiritual things. So the one that sees, though it may not have been seen before, now discerns in truth something of the beauty of God and the, ex the excellency with which it had no concept before now. I'll explain that more in a little bit. Conversion is when we begin to see things from God's point of view and not our own. So let's look at the consequences of conversion, 16 to 18. The word means conversion to change, to turn from one direction into another, not to another, but into, into. In 1 Thessalonians 1.9, Paul is talking about the conversion of the Thessalonians Christians, and listen to what he said. You turn from idols to God. See, when the Spirit of God brings life into our dark souls, we allow God's light to shine in us. Because we believe his word. It's not that we, we think we can save ourselves or come to that conclusion. The message is preached. The spirit moves. You believe. I believe. And regeneration takes place. And immediately conversion follows. I, I, I think of my own life, if you please. And I remember that Good Friday morning when I asked Christ into my life. And, and, and again, I don't want to give you the impression that I was anything special because I wasn't. The direction that I was going in could have wrecked my life. And that morning, Good Friday morning, when Jesus Christ entered my life, I hate to use the word, it's the word that is being used today, there was a radical change. 
a radical change. Let me tell you some of the changes that took place from the text. The first change that takes place is a spiritual change. What I mean by that, that there erupts in our being a spiritual appetite that wasn't there before. We used to get a Christian station from South America, HCJB. Those four letters mean heralding Christ Jesus' blessing. And I was just beginning to get really interested in baseball when we got our first radio. And my sister, Kathy, wanted to listen to HCJB. She had become a Christian before I did. And Kathy wanted to listen to HCJB. And I wanted to listen to baseball. I had no interest in spiritual things. It was years before that that I opened the Bible. And I got sick one day and I thought I was going to die. So I thought I'd better see if I can throw out an anchor at the last hour. <laughs> and that morning, that week that I became a Christian, the first thing I did was to go and buy a radio so I could listen to HGJB for myself. Kathy didn't say, get your own radio. <laughs> My mother didn't say, okay, you can have it for here. No, I wasn't interested in baseball anymore. I hadn't played for a long time. All the time I was playing ball right in front of the, I took Lois and Christopher and them there when we went to Belize for uh, a year or so ago. Took them to the place where I used to play ball. Beautiful Caribbean sea right out there. Never fizz on me for a moment until I was born again. All of a sudden, I looked and I thought, the world is beautiful. I used to play ball every day and I didn't saw that. I didn't see that. Didn't make any sense to me. But you see, my friends, when we are regenerated and when we are converted, we begin to see life from God's point of view. We begin to see what we could not see in our deadness. That's why we need to be converted. There's a spiritual appetite. Paul says this, May God fill you with joy and peace in your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit you will live life to the fullest with radiant joy. That wasn't there before. Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. I will put my spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone which was there before from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, the kind of heart that can respond to the spiritual life that is coming from God to you. 1 Peter, For Christ suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. In regeneration and conversion, 
we're not left on a desert island. We're not floating, floating somewhere between heaven and earth. We are brought to God, the God that we didn't want anything to do with before. The God in whom we had no interest before. The spiritual things that my sister had concerns about was never my concern. There was a new spiritual appetite. I'll tell you what those appetite is, or was as I, as I go to my second point here. There was a new eagerness for the scriptures. A new eagerness for the scriptures. I, like I said, it was years before I picked up a Bible. My, 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 my feeling was that I was more spiritual than the people who were going to church on Sunday. So I didn't need to worry about a thing. But you know, you see, I was measuring myself with them. Not with the righteousness of God. The eagerness of the scriptures. Peter, Peter, Peter said this. Like newborn babe, crave, crave. Like newborn babe. You know, when, when our children were little, they didn't care whether it was supper time or dinner time. When they were hungry, they were hungry. So Paul's, Peter, Peter now says, you should have that same kind of appetite for the scriptures. Like newborn babes crave the spiritual milk of the word so that you may grow into your salvation. My friends, you know, we hear a lot about kids losing their salvation before they, when they go to university. I'm going to tell you that's a fallacy. I'll tell you why. Most of the times, we like to think that our children are saved in a moral way. When they go to university, they won't do this, they won't do that, they won't do the other thing. Instead of saying, as they go to university, we will follow them in our prayers that they might keep on following Christ. It sounds so innocuous, but that it is, it is. I saw a survey the other day that said, we say that our kids lose their faith in university. You know what the survey said? They lost it in middle school. Not in university. In other words, my friends, in fact, I'm, I'm going to tell you one of the things that, that I am really, really, I'm going to talk to the team about this when we meet pretty soon. I am not saying we're not supposed to be concerned about the youth, of course we are. But if we begin to show concern for the youth when they are in high school, it's too late. We want to show concern for them when they're in the nursery. We want to show concern for them when mom and dad bring them and they sit in the front seat and they hear and they see how mom and dad respond to God's word. That's when it begins. Moses was trained from the womb. And when he got to Pharaoh's uh, palace, he said no. He said no. Because mom and dad had done in the scriptures, they trained him in it. And I can guarantee you, my friends, you know, my wife was brought up in a Christian home and she struggled like anybody else and she went to a university where she was away from home. But I'm going to tell you what kept her was the fact that she knew her mom and dad were praying at home and that the scriptures were a part of their 
daily lives. Like newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word. Here, here's how I know I was converted, friends. You've heard that they say, when kids are young, you can't get them to go to bed, and at the same time, you, next day you can't get them out of bed. When I became a believer, when I trusted Christ as Savior, and I say this because all these things are of God, I used to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, every morning, opening my Bible, just reading the Psalms, and like John Wesley, singing the Psalms to myself. That was my diet. A new appetite for something I, I would never have done before. And I, I will never forget the time when the Spirit of God spoke to my heart because I wanted to be like John Wesley. And God reminded me, Winston, you are not John Wesley, you are Winston. See, I wanted to emulate him. You can't emulate spirituality, my friends. You can only experience it. And it is the word of God, being it, Jesus used the word of God to face temptations in the wilderness. He said, it is written, it is written. I gave you the five things, and I'll get there right now. And that, that happens what the scriptures does. Number one, the scriptures sustain our faith. Romans 10, 17. The scriptures, my friends, um, encourages or initiates growth. It's essential for spiritual growth, 1 Peter 2, 2. The scripture is the means of fellowship with the Trinity, 1 John 3 and 4. The scripture is the weapon that defeats the devil and temptation. I like what John says in 1 John 2, 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God dwells in you. Not your strength, not physical strength that will overcome the devil. You're not strong enough. Number five, the scripture strengthens our hope. Romans 15, 4. Let me quickly end here. We have this, this, this change, this spiritual change that comes to our lives with our relationship and with the scriptures. But there are social changes, social changes. By social change, I mean our relationship with others. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16. We used to know people this way, but since we are new creatures in Christ, we know them this way no more. We're not, we're not measuring ourselves with, with, with people. Social change. What are these social changes? One, there's a love for Christ's body. There is a love for Christ's body. Colossians, I'm sorry, it's been Colossians, I have that here, 1.18. But in 1 John 5, 1 and 2, 1 John 5, 1 and 2, listen to what it says. Whoever believes that Christ is born, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and whoever loves the Father loves the children that are born of him. I, I will tell you now, friends, nobody is more a loner than I am. I, 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 am, I am not an effervescent person. I'm only married to one. 
my wife can meet people a lot easier than I can. Hard for me to meet people. Earlier, she will tell you this, she used to say, the way you behave, people will think you don't like them. <laughs> what, what, what? I am, I am being converted at this point in my life right now. I am being converted because, you see, I'm moving from one stage of what I was to what I am in Christ. If, if I say I have been born of God, I must love those who are born of God. Love for the body. My tears rolled in a spiritual way some years ago in a meeting I was with other ministers. And, and this one minister in a fairly large church where we were, he said, I can't stand Christians who always, be, who always love to be with other Christians. I could hardly believe, I said, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? <laughs> Only Christians are going to be there. My friends, one of the signs of being converted is a new appreciation for the body. I know they can be a pain sometimes. I'm not the one saying that. Jesus said in this world you'll have tribulation. People used to say, oh, to live with saints above, that will be glory. But to live with some saints below, that's another story. <laughs> please listen to me, friends. We smile and rightly so, but please listen to me. The Holy Spirit has come to reside in us that we might know how to live with and love one another. And if we, if, if we find ourselves not wanting the body, please go home and fall on your face before God and say, Father, in your word you have said, if, if, if children are born of God and I am born of God, then I love those who are born of God. It's not me making choices with them. Not only do we have a love for the body of Christ, but our labor in the, in the body of Christ. Our labor. Our labor. Listen to what the scripture says in Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of an heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself in an unlimited way to God to cleanse our consciences from acts of death so that we may serve the living God. Being a part of Christ's body, my friends, there are things that can happen and if the devil keeps you from not wanting to be with the body of Christ, pray that God will rebuke him because a part of being converted is to be a part of the body. To live among and to labor among. St. Paul said this, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not in vain, even though I labored more than all of them, yet it is not I, but Christ who dwells in me. That's the consequences of conversion. I was going to read a story, which I will not, because as I thought of this, see, if I end with conversion, 
and talk to you about a fellow by the name of Christopher Yuan. When I tell you what his life was like, you're going to say, he needed to be saved. Because his life was a mess. And God just turned that life around. So I thought I'd give you C.S. Lewis. I give you C.S. Lewis because, you see, he was not someone running about doing all kinds of things, but he was so steep in his pride that he could not see, especially after his mother died, how God could make sense to anybody. C.S. Lewis left his childhood faith to spend years as a determined atheist, especially after his mother died. Lewis gave in uh, to intellectual pursuit the long journey of questioning God. I was not told the circumstances, but listen to what he says. The road back to faith was cluttered with obstacles Lewis once thought impossible to overcome. His conversion, his conversion to Christianity was a robust change. Christianity took on years, well, he, uh, Christianity took years of intellectual struggles and he came, it came only after he was convinced that faith was reasonable. Christianity was seen as having a faith that was reasonable and after years of intellectual struggles with it, C.S. Lewis, and I end with this, gave in and knelt in prayer to become what he described later as the most dejected and the most reluctant convert in England. You know what he was saying? I didn't understand it all, but I knew that if I were to have a change in my life, I had to be changed in my heart. And he did. And it's interesting to me that I didn't know it at the time because I was a, a young Christian, that John F. Kennedy died the same day as C.S. Lewis died. And it's interesting. You can, you, you can do whatever you want with that one. Let's pray. Father, I pray that I have delivered to the people that which you have given me. That what was said was not, neither my opinion or my conclusions. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to hearts this morning concerning their needs. And if someone needs to be regenerated, shine, Lord, shine in their hearts now. If Christians need to really surrender to you so that they will know the change that takes place from within, Father, shine in their hearts now. I pray that the Spirit will seal the word and that there will be rejoicing in heaven because of what was done in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.